I sometimes get worried. I sometimes have a lot of worries. Uh, I have a lot of fears. Um, I, I think about things that I get worried about, things that I get I'm afraid about, uh, things that I have struggles with. And, and, and usually, typically, if, if you're like me, you'll find that this is true for you as well. But when I think about the things that I struggle with and the things that I, I'm worried about, it, it usually involves my finances. It usually involves my needs, the things that I need. And, and so I will struggle uh, with fear or I'll struggle with worry about my needs. And, and, and I, I will, I don't know about you, but there are times that I, I lie awake at night it doesn't happen very often. I'm a good sleeper. Always have been. Very good sleeper. Uh, but I will lie awake at night worried about the future or worried about uh, my finances specifically. I'll worry about the, the things that uh, I can't really control, but, but somehow I'll blame myself. <laughs> Maybe you do this too. Where you'll blame yourself for your financial situation. If only I hadn't gone to McDonald's that one time last week. <laughs> Or that seven times last week. I don't do that. I, I, I don't do that, honey. I promise. I, I quit doing that a long time ago. If only I hadn't gone to McDonald's that one time last week, then I wouldn't be this close, this close to going under. And I lie awake and I'm afraid about my finances. And, and that's, or my other needs, needs of, of spiritual needs or emotional needs, um, physical needs, uh, financial needs. And I worry about these things. And I know that I shouldn't. And like I said, sometimes I blame myself. If I hadn't, and, and in a way it's true, if I hadn't been stupid with my money, I wouldn't have this problem. Or, or I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame on myself and say, well, God is just, He's, he's mad at me, and he's punishing me because of my stupidity. Any of you ever do that? A couple of you. Some of you don't want to raise your hands. <laughs> no, don't make me raise my hand. But we'll think to ourselves, I just, I, I, almost like I, I deserve this. I deserve this, this as some kind of punishment. I deserve this thing that I'm going through. That I deserve what I'm suffering I don't know that God works that way. But I know I feel that way sometimes. And I think we all get to that point at different times in our lives. We're worried. We have fears. We have anxiety. It could be you have a worry about your health. You're worried about your body. You're worried about an illness or a disease, or you're worried about family. You're worried about your kids or your grandkids. You're worried about your siblings. You're worried about your parents. Some of you are worried about your parents. You may worry about a relationship that's falling apart or a relationship that's broken. Maybe you're one of my teenagers in the room and, and you're, you're worried about school this fall. By the way, school starts in like two and a half weeks. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> well, the teenager said, no, no. But maybe you're a teenager and you're worried about going back to school this fall. And you're thinking, I don't want to go back to school because I don't want to get bullied anymore. Or I don't want to go back to school because I'm tired of the pressure that I, I feel like I have to perform. I'm tired of the pressure. I feel like I've got to live up to the expectations of so many people. And it's just, 
you have a need for peace in your life, teenagers, and you feel like there is no peace. Or, or like I said, maybe you're worried about your kids or your grandkids, and, and we're worried that, that something bad is going to happen to them, or, or something uh, is, is going to hurt them, and that their hearts are going to be broken. And we worry about our kids. I worry about my kid. And, I, and God knows that. He knows my need for peace. He knows your need too. Or maybe it is a financial need that you're worried about. We're worried about our finances. We're worried about how we're going to make ends meet. We worry about the job. We're, we hear things, you know, rumors about our jobs. And we think, is my job secure? Is my job safe? Or we'll hear things about, you know, maybe you're on a fixed income and you hear things about, you know, cuts to social services or social security and and you worry about those things. And you worry about how am I going to make ends meet? I, I don't know. And it keeps you up at night. Things like that keep me up at night. So we wonder, what does Melchizedek have to do with any of that you may be thinking what are you talking about well i'm talking about the book of hebrews because we've been talking about the book of hebrews on sunday mornings and today's passage is about how jesus is greater than melchizedek and you may be thinking sean what does melchizedek have to do with my life because i got to get up and go to work tomorrow and i can't necessarily walk into my office or walk into the mill or walk into my my job and say hey guys guess what jesus is greater than melchizedek cuz people will look at me like i got a third eye growing out of my forehead what are you talking about what does this have to do with my life what does this have to do with my daily routine what does this have to do with my job, with my kids, with my finances. What does this have to do with me? You're going to find out. Because I believe that it has everything to do with your life. And we're going to talk about that this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use a Bible out of the chair in front of you. There should be a, a, a Bible somewhere around you in, in front of you on the chair rack in front of you. And uh, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, uh, it is on page 848 of the Pew Bible in front of you. So it's on page 848. We encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to bring it. Um, If you don't have a Bible, talk to me. We'll work on getting you one. Uh, Everybody should have a Bible. But only if you're going to read it. See that? Can I I soapbox for a minute? Can I soapbox for just a minute? Is it okay? Can I say, okay, I don't care what version of the Bible you use. Whatever you can read and understand and is familiar to you and and, and you're going to use it. Okay, so if you're not going to read your Bible, then don't fight with me about what version of the Bible you want to use. Okay, all right. All right, good. We're good now. We can get back to Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, so we're in Hebrews chapter 6. And we're talking about how Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Now, we talked about Melchizedek a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we talked about how Melchizedek was the king of Salem, that he was not only a priest, a high priest of God Almighty, but he was also a king. And the reason that Jesus is like Melchizedek is because Jesus is the great high priest and he is the king of kings. So Jesus, just like Melchizedek, is a king and a priest, a high priest. So we're going to see a little bit more about that today. 
So turn to uh, look at Hebrews 6, starting in verse 13, and we're going to go through verse 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God swore by himself. He swore an oath to Abraham by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it, because, I'm sorry, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hope of the hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Way back in Genesis chapter 14, God called a man named Abram to follow him. He called Abram to be the father of his people. And he told Abram that he was going to have many descendants. Now that sounds great, right? Except for the fact that Abram was very old, and his wife was very old, and they had no children. So he says, Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. What are you talking about? How, that's, it's impossible. Except for the fact that nothing is impossible for God. And sure enough, Abram had a son named Isaac. Now there's a whole lot of story that goes on there. I just want you to know that nothing's impossible for God. And even in his old age, Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, had a child named Isaac. who was the father of the Jews. Okay, So, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram to be his to be the father of his people and says, I will make you uh, into a great nation. Um, he says that uh, he would ha- be the father of, of many descendants. Abram, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And sure enough, he did. And he went to the land of Canaan. While he was in the land of Canaan, he uh, conquered. uh, A war broke out. In Genesis chapter 14, it says that war broke out. And Abram uh, fought against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and conquered them and carried off plunder. That brings us to Melchizedek. Chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, which, by the way, became Jerusalem, city of peace. And when you think about that, that seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Like Jerusalem, the city of peace? Hardly. Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. What that basically means is that nobody knows what happened to Melchizedek. Nobody know where, knows where he went. No matter, nobody knows where he came from. He's just a mysterious guy who shows up in Genesis 14 in about four verses, and that's all we know about Melchizedek. Just think how great he was, this Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham one of the greatest figures, one of the central key figures of the Old Testament, 
gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because then, when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So you have the situation where Melchizedek uh, meets Abraham after Abraham has conquered the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and has carried off this plunder, and now he, is, he gives a, a tenth of it, he tithes to Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is like nobody, but he was king. And he was high priest of God Almighty. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows where he went. But when he met Abraham, Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. And then he gave Melchizedek a tenth of what he had collected. Verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. And basically what that means is that no, perfection is not possible. And it is not possible. You cannot keep the law well enough. You can't be good enough for God's salvation. Why was there still the need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses had said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. We'll talk about covenants next week. But for this part here, what we need to understand is that God swore an oath to Abraham by himself. How many of you ever heard the phrase, somebody said, I swear on a stack of Bibles 10 feet high or something along those lines. All right. Okay. Maybe you've heard something along those lines. People always swear by something greater than themselves because they want to show how sincere they are. They want to show how sincere they are being in their promise or in their oath that they're swearing. And so sure enough, uh, uh, God, there's no one higher than God. There's nothing higher than God. So when God swears an oath, he can only swear an oath by himself. And he says, uh, he talks about this plan of salvation. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. That we, he talks about a covenant, a new covenant between God and his people through Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that next week. But what we need to know here is that Jesus came uh, and he was not of the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priests, but Jesus was a high priest like Melchizedek who was not among the tribe of Levi, but he came from the tribe of Judah, the, the kingly tribe. So Jesus, just like Melchizedek, is a king and a priest. He is the king of kings and the most high priest of God. That Jesus was crucified, he was killed on a cross, and then he was buried, he was dead for three days, and God raised him from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning in power and majesty and glory, and interceding for his people. We'll talk about that in just a second. 
Let's pick it up in verse 23 until the end of the chapter. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus Christ is the high priest of God interceding for you and for me at the right hand of the Father. He is our intercessor. He is pleading on our behalf to God. He is on your side. We sang the song earlier, uh, the God of angel armies is always by my side, that Jesus is on your side. He is not against you. He does not hate you. Uh, He is not angry with you. Jesus is on your side. He is a friend of sinners, sinners like you and me. He is on your side. He is not against you, but rather he is for you. That is so important to know. That is so important to be reminded of. That God is on your side. And that he, no matter where you've been or what you've done, what you've been doing, where you've been going, that Jesus cares for you and he loves you and he is interceding for you. Even at this moment, he is on your side. And he can meet your greatest need and let me tell you what your greatest need is you may not even be aware of it you may be thinking well my greatest need right now is to get out of here <laughs> or my greatest need right now is to get to mcdonald's and eat one of them big macs you were talking about earlier let me tell you what your greatest need is your greatest need is that of a savior your greatest need is for forgiveness because without forgiveness you are destined for an eternity separated from God in hell for eternity. And I know that doesn't sound very nice. And I know it sounds very, very politically incorrect and people don't want to hear that. But just because you don't want to hear it doesn't mean that it's not true. The Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we cannot be saved. And we'll talk about that, well, now. The reason that you have this, this deep need is because, as it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone on planet Earth at this very moment, seven and a half billion sinners on the planet. We're all sinners. Now, we all have our various shades of sin. We've got our own various degrees of sin, but it's all sin, and we've all sinned against God, every single one of us. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. And I'm not just talking like dying physically. I'm talking eternal death and separation from God for eternity. So the consequences of our sin, the fact that we're all sinners, the consequences of that sin is that we deserve hell. But as it says in Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That by his grace we are saved. But there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to get to heaven. In John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be saved. Other than through Jesus. As it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other way to get to heaven than through Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, I love what Pastor Greg Laurie says from Harvest Church in California. He says, all roads lead to God, but only one road leads to heaven. You see, all roads will lead you to God's judgment seat. All roads will lead you to his judgment seat. But only one road will lead you to heaven, and that is through Jesus. There is only one name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And it doesn't sound politically, in, politically correct. It doesn't sound very nice. But like I said, just because it doesn't sound nice doesn't mean it isn't true. So how? How do we get out of this situation in which we find ourselves? How do we find forgiveness? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That God has a gift for you. He has a gift that he wants to give you. And, and Ron talked earlier about giving gifts. How many of you like to get gifts? I love to get gifts. Oh, by the way, about 87 shopping days till Sean's birthday. Just, I'm just saying I'm just throwing it out there that it's about 87 shopping days to my birthday. Mom, Dad, write that down, please. You know, I know that you can't forget because I am the firstborn. Thank you very much. But just in case senility is setting in a little bit, about 87 shopping days. Oh, that wasn't very nice. We'll have to put the first service video online. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Fortunately, the hearing's not very good either. But, um... <laughs> I know, I just, just wrote myself right out of the will. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. This is very bad, very bad. This went in a really weird turn, didn't it? <laughs> Gifts. God has a gift for you. God has a gift of salvation for you, and it is by that gift, it is only through that gift that you can be saved. It is the gift of God. And it comes through Jesus. And it begins with faith. It begins by believing. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That if you will believe in Jesus, it is the, the beginning of a process, it is the beginning of God's plan of salvation. And then after you believe, you need to repent. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need to repent from your sins. And what that, literally, what that means is to have a change of mind. Because sometimes we confuse repentance with sanctification. We think that, okay, I've got to clean up my act before I come to God. I've got this bad habit, or I say these bad things, or I do these bad things, and I've got this bad situation in my life. I've got to clean myself up. And when I clean up my act then i can come to god and he can forgive me that is not true you cannot cannot clean up your act enough for god to accept you you cannot clean up your act enough for god to forgive you it is only by his grace that we are saved it is only by believing in jesus and repenting from our sins it's to go it's 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 going one direction and turning around and turning around and going the other direction how many of you have one of these how many of you have like a Google Maps type app on your phone and you use it to drive around with and, and it shows you where to go, right? But sometimes you know better than Google Maps. I know sometimes I know better than Google Maps. It's like Google Maps is taking me down the wrong road. I need to turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance is. 
It is a change of mind. It is not a change of behavior per se. It is a change of mind. It's saying, I'm going the wrong way. I need to go the right way. I'm going towards sin and death and hell, and I need to turn and go to God for forgiveness and freedom. So I've got to repent. And I need to confess my faith. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That it is through Jesus that we can be saved. And the last thing we, that we do as part of this plan of salvation is we are baptized. Again, back to Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is your greatest need, is forgiveness. And this is how we are forgiven, by believing in Jesus, repenting from our sins, confessing our faith, and being baptized. And you're thinking, well, okay, I, I, I'm there, I've done that. I, I, I believe in Jesus, I've repented for my sins, I've confessed my faith, I've been baptized. What does Melchizedek have to do with me? This is what Melchizedek has to do with you. This is what this sermon has to do with you. If Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs. Does that make sense? You see, your greatest need is that of a Savior. Your greatest need is for forgiveness. And if Jesus can meet your greatest need, which is huge, if Jesus can meet your greatest need, then he can meet all of your needs. So you may be thinking, you may be lying awake, you may go to bed tonight and just lay there and toss and turn because you have some kind of need that you just don't know if God is going to come through. You don't know if, if things are going to work out and you're, you're trying to plan, you're trying to plot. Okay, if I do this and if I do that, then maybe God will bless me in this way. Or if I do this or if I do that, then maybe I can finagle things in such a way that I'll, I'll have enough money to make it to paycheck, to paycheck, to paycheck. And, and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, but I know that if I do this and if I do that, no. If Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See, God knows your needs. When was the last time you prayed? about your needs when was the last time you went before the father and said god i have this need and i need you to help me it's a humbling thing it's not we live in a very pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of world don't we i can do this i got this i will make this happen i will do this and where has that gotten you Present your requests to God. And then a little bit later in verse 19, he says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs. So let's talk practical stuff for just a moment. Think back to what I said earlier. Maybe you're that teenager and you're dreading going back to school because you, you feel like you, you either have to perform or you're going to be bullied, you're going to get beat up, whatever. 
If Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all your needs. And if it's your need for protection, if it's your need for peace, if it is your need for, uh, for reassurance, Jesus can meet your needs. Present your requests to God. Go before the Father and say, God, I need you and I need your help. Or maybe you're worried about your job. Like I said earlier, if you're worried about your job, if Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs. If you're worried about your job, present your requests to God. If you're worried about your finances, if Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs. Present your requests to God. If you're worried about your family, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your grandkids, and you need peace of mind, and you need peace in your heart, if Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet how many? All of your needs. Present your requests to God. So what started off as a kind of a weird sermon about Melchizedek really has a lot to say to us today. Because Jesus is able to meet our greatest need of forgiveness and salvation. And because I know that Jesus can meet my greatest need and I know that he can meet your greatest need, if Jesus can meet your greatest need, he can meet all of your needs.